One cold night in January 1917, the Greenwich Village artists John Sloan and Marcel Duchamp and a quartet of hangers-on sneaked up to the top of the iconic Washington Square Arch. They strung Chinese lanterns from the parapet and read what they called the Republic of Greenwich Village's Declaration of Independence from the rest of the United States. It was completely open-ended and Dadaist, consisting of a single word repeated over and over. Whereas, whereas, whereas. By the 19-teens, the whole world seemed to know that Greenwich Village was the left bank of America. It was familiar enough that P.G. Woodhouse could poke fun at it in a Broadway musical. Its crooked streets and romantic garrets drew the likes of Edna St. Vincent Millay, Sinclair Lewis, Juna Barnes, Hart Crane, Eugene O'Neill, E.E. E. Cummings, Buckminster Fuller, Edgar Verres, even Khalil Gibran, who wrote The Prophet there. Mabel Dodge, not an artist or intellectual herself, but a great supporter, held weekly soirees in her apartment near the arch that drew together the most interesting radicals and thinkers available. They discussed topics considered outre and fringe in polite society, such as feminism, Freudianism, trade unionism, even eugenics, of which they generally approved in this pre-Nazi era as a means of improving the human race. The anarchists Emma Goldman and Sasha Berkman, the birth control pioneer Margaret Sanger, and the pro-Soviet journalists John Reed and Louise Bryant were among Mabel's guests. Reed was among her lovers. The village was always a wet neighborhood. When Prohibition went into effect in 1920, neighborhood hardware stores sold out of home stills. The gutters in the Italian section ran purple with mash as families crushed their own grapes for wine, and it was said that two speakeasies sprang up for every bar or tavern that was shut. New York City's mayor at the time was a village native, the hard-partying, hardly-working Jimmy Walker easier to find at a table in a speakeasy than behind his desk at City Hall. Enforcement of prohibition in the city was correspondingly lax. The perpetually broke and peripatetic Henry and June Miller moved to the Greenwich Village in 1925 and tried running a speakeasy in their tiny basement apartment. It failed because Henry let all his writers drink on the cuff, but June had some success using the spot for assignations with her wealthy admirers. They were evicted in 1926. When the Depression was at its peak in the 1930s, the headquarters of the American Communist Party, the CPUSA, was in the village on West 13th Street and 213th Street became slang for two radically leftist. Progressive politics even colored the neighborhood's nightlife. Café Society, a jazz club that opened in 1939, 
advertised itself as a place where whites, blacks, Jews, and anyone else were welcome. Billie Holiday sang on opening night, followed by Lena Horne, Sarah Vaughan, and Harry Belafonte, who lived nearby. At a time when interracial acts were unthinkable on virtually any stage, the club featured a duo of the black folk singer Josh White and the white torch singer Libby Holman, nicknamed the Statue of Libby. Unashamedly and omnivorously bisexual, she married the fantastically wealthy R.J. Reynolds tobacco heir, Zachary Reynolds, then made him so crazy with jealousy he blew his brains out. If white men in the Cafe Society audience complained about the racist mixing, they were shown the door or, at least once, knocked to the floor. With the rise of fascism and Nazism in Europe late in the 1930s, New York became an asylum for fleeing artists, writers, and scholars, and many of them came to the village. Hannah Arendt, the anthropologist Claude Levi-Strauss, the controversial psychiatrist Wilhelm Reich, the great theater director Erwin Piscator, novelist Vladimir Nabokov, and artists Max Ernst, Pierre Mondrian, André Breton, Salvador Dali, Yves Tanguy, André Masson, and Fernand Legere are just a few of them. Some went back home after the war, others stayed, and they all had a revolutionizing impact on American arts and letters. In the 1950s, a generation of village artists who were profoundly influenced by them, including Jackson Pollock, Grace Hardigan, Robert Motherwell, and Willem de Kooning, went on to make New York the world capital of modern art. End of part two.